Thunderdome's simple. Get to the weapons, use them any way you can. I know you won't break the rules. There aren't any. <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Death is listening, and hopefully he'll give us five-star rating on iTunes. But in the meantime, we're watching Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 31, which begins with Max receiving some last-minute instruction, and it ends with flailing around awkwardly in midair. Here in the Thunderdome with us this week is the captain of the good ship dueling genre productions, Scott Corelli. Hey, thanks for having me back. Hey, Scott. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. You have been <laughs> busy, well, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, a <laughs> little bit, a little bit. Yep. Since we last talked to you, you actually wrote a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes, I did. Can we add big time Hollywood screenwriter just yet? Or are you just regular time screenwriter at the moment? Yeah, just regular time. <laughs> just regular time right now. <laughs> All right. It's a lot of pressure, Rick. Yeah, yeah. Even that might be a little bit of a stretch, but I'll I'll take it. <laughs> you know, if I've learned anything, it's all about networking. All it takes is the right person to find the script, slid underneath the side of a bathroom stall in the right Hollywood neighborhood, and before you know it. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> but as for us... We are here to talk about the fight of, well, I wouldn't say the century. Eh, it's, it's, it's the fight of the next six minutes or so. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to spend about two weeks here in the Dome talking about this fight be between Master and Blaster. But before this fight between Max and Blaster, but before we can actually get down to the brass tacks, we got to bring both of our fighters into the center of the ring and you know, so they can have their little face-off moment and Dr. Dealgood can give some last-minute instructions. Visually speaking, this matchup here at the beginning of the minute looks a little uneven, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't really understand why Blaster is like a couple feet up in the air. <laughs> that actually leads me to a question I have further down in this week's minute, but we'll tackle it here because I think it's appropriate. There are people on top of the dome who are in charge of the cables. Mm -hmm. So this scene where Max is on the ground and Blaster is up in the air, is that because the people up top have made it that way? Like on purpose? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's just like a weird intimidation tactic or or what? Because I don't know. I mean, is this this isn't even really a I, you know, it's not like a fair gladiatorial match. I mean, they they everybody wants Master Blaster to win. It's really more of like an execution where you have a small sliver of a chance to not be executed, right? Um, mm -hmm. so I assume that this is just some sort of intimidation tactic to be like, no, we really want this guy to lose, uh, really bad. So any way we can break his spirit by like having this dude tower over him, uh, let's maybe go for it. I don't know. It's all very theatrical. I'll say that. That's for sure. And Scott, as someone who has talked extensively about the first Spider-Man movie, <laughs> there is a very memorable scene in that first movie where there's a cage match. Not exactly like the one we're going to see this week, <laughs> but there are similarities, which is a big reason why I tagged you for this week. 
Yeah, no, there's a there are a lot of similarities for sure. Even outside ring uh, weaponry, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of stuff. So uh, yeah, the only thing that's missing is the uh, the rubber bands, I guess. But even then, I mean, Spider Man is sort of a rubber band himself. <laughs> he's got like rubber band powers, you know. He's like flipping around and stuff. <laughs> he doesn't need the rubber bands; he can do it himself. Rubber band powers—that would be an interesting superpower to have. <laughs> well, isn't there a rubber band man in one of the companies? I don't know if it's Marvel or DC, but I'm pretty sure one of them has a just a dude that's very rubber-like, like a Mister Fantastic knockoff, which probably means it's DC. Yeah, I mean, there's a. There's a plastic man uh, and an ala- and, um, elastic man, elastic uh, Ralph Dibney. Um, <laughs> uh, they, and I think they both actually predate Mr. Fantastic, if I'm not mistaken. I think they're like 40s creations. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure about Rubber Band Man. Um, I think that might just be like a song that kids sing. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like a kid song. Yeah, it does. And there's always Elastigirl from The Incredibles. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You can always count on her. Yes. The thing about this face-off, the fact that they're so uneven, it confuses me because Max is bouncing. Max is being held by guards and their hands are at a reasonable height and Max is bouncing up and down. Blaster is stone still. It's like he's standing on a box, mm-hmm. which he really doesn't need that help. <laughs> I expect production-wise, he probably is just standing on a box, because you're right, he is very still. And if he was being suspended in the air, even being held on one person on either side of him, I don't think he would be that still. So I suspect he is standing on a box. And in-universe, I really don't know what's going on. I don't know if we're meant to believe that he really is that much bigger than Max. I don't know. I well, I I just I kind of maybe maybe it's um it's the fact that you mentioned that like Max is sort of you know bobbing up and down uh it almost like you know he's not used to being in these rubber band straps, but <laughs> yeah. but Master Blaster is so maybe that's what they're going for is that you know it's like a confidence thing where it's like oh Master Master Blaster's done this a bajillion times and he always wins and so he's used to being in these stupid rubber band things. Uh, and he's like, look how confident and cool I can look in my rubber band swing. Uh, maybe that's what's going on. <laughs> I think that's a very good point because of multiple times during this fight, you can see Max kind of flailing around mm-hmm. while Blaster is a bit more graceful. <laughs> About as graceful as he can be considering he's a giant towering mountain of man. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So I like the idea that they're trying to convey that kind of confidence. Yeah. We got a line from Master. Was it, I think it was last week, maybe the week before because of how things are spaced out. But he said something about 20 men enter, only Blaster leave. Yeah. <laughs> so we theorized that he had done this at least 20 times before. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's a lot. It is. <laughs> so he must be pretty comfortable mm-hmm. in the rubber band harness. Yeah. As comfortable as you can be. <laughs> Actually, it looks like a lot of fun. (laughs) If there was a place, you know how you can go and do the indoor skydiving thing? Mm -hmm. I wish there was a place that you could go and do this. Well, okay. There is a local, like, old home day type thing, one one or two towns over, and it's called the Kingston Days. If Sean German said it, he would call it Kingston Days. But that's an inside football joke that (laughs) only some people are going to get. 
But oftentimes they'll have a rock climbing wall and surrounding those climbing walls are multiple trampolines and you get bungee harnesses that you can wear and you can jump on the trampoline Hmm. with the bungee harness. And we always just walk right by it because we're going to the flea market portion of it and we never stop to look at the climbing wall stuff. Yeah, we should stop and look at the climbing wall stuff. At my high school graduation party, we, it was like, a, I don't know if every senior graduating class does this, but we had a lock-in. Um, oh, was that to keep the prom kids from getting into trouble? Well, it was graduation, but yes. Close enough. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so one of the activity things that we had at the lock-in was uh, like an inflatable boxing ring. Mm-hmm. And each each contestant was strapped into a, like a bungee cord thing and we had big like comically large boxing gloves kind of a thing mm. and like punching at each other i kept pulling against the bungee cord it was fun <laughs> you could, like barely reach each other yeah mm-hmm. scott have you ever done one of those crazy carnival things like this yeah my uh, at my after prom um, we, we had one of those, uh, actually just like the one in, uh, in Shaun of the Dead that they have the zombies on with the, with the, they're going after the meat, you know, and they're like trying to get to yes. the end of the, end of the thing, but they keep slipping back that we totally had those at our after prom. Um, I mean, it wasn't yeah. meat at the end. I don't think it was anything at the end. I think we just ran forward like maniacs and got snapped back because that was apparently fun when we were 18. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I've definitely been in uh, one of those inflatable rubber band kind of situations. If they only changed the orientation of those rubber bands from being horizontal to being vertical, they could have had a real party on their hands. It's true. The only big inflatable thing I remember from any after prom party that I ever went to was an American gladiator style jousting pit mm. where you get to stand on those wobbly platforms. Then you grab the giant Q-tips and get to bash the other person in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I did really well when I was a junior and got brought to senior prom. And then the after party, I did not do so well when I was a senior and facing off against people my own age. Cause apparently I'm good against the older folks. Not so good against people my own age. Hmm. Huh? Inexplicably. I don't understand it. It was also a real long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is sort of a post-apocalyptic after prom, Thunderdome. Oh my gosh, yeah. With how much everybody in this town was partying (laughs) before this fight broke out? Yeah. Absolutely. Everyone was having a great time before this fight started. And now that this fight is getting started, oh, it's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think everybody in Bartertown is having a good time tonight, except the people in the owner's box (laughs) (laughs) that's true we check in on them a couple times during this week and they are nervous and tense and uncomfortable Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're not having a good time of course before we can actually get this fight started dr Diogood has a few i guess words of advice for max he leans into this face-off that we're in and he's mostly talking specifically to our hero and he says that thunderdome is simple you just get to the weapons you use them however you can and that there's no possible way to break the rules because there aren't any Hmm. and i feel like saying that there are no rules ignores the fact that there is one very important rule namely that they don't get to leave until someone's dead i feel like that's a really important rule yeah that max needs to be reminded of before the fight begins i mean that's that's a rule. <laughs> yeah. You can't say that there are no rules. Also, another rule. You need to be in these stupid bu- rubber band swings. <laughs> That's another rule. 
Like, what do you mean there's no rules, man? There's lots of rules, obviously. Yeah. And there's the boundary, which is also a type of rule. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can't run to the side of the Thunderdome, slip out through one of the openings. Because, I mean, the openings in this Thunderdome are not small. Like, they're reasonably sized that an adult man can wriggle his way through. Mm -hmm. So, I'd say that there are at least three rules. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kill the other person, get bungeed in, don't leave the dome. Yeah. I would argue that there is another rule. The weapons. Mm. Right. By including a specific selection of weapons, you are implying, and, and only implying... That the rule is you have to use those weapons, not other weapons. Mm, see, it's an implied rule. That's the danger with implied rules and, is that they're not set in stone, though. Mm. And that's important because I'm going to use that as an argument in a couple of days. <laughs> it's an implied rule. Mm-hmm. And I feel very strongly about that implied rule. Another implied rule is given by Tina Turner, who says that uh, apparently the first man who screams dies. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, which is a really odd... <laughs> Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Buckle up, everybody. It's a lovely turn of phrase. It's very poetic. Well, it's anything she says is a turn of phrase. (laughs) Can I quit? Can I just quit right now? (laughs) Can I be your new (laughs) co-host? Yes. You just you won me Rick over. You can just sit around making puns all day long. (laughs) You know, puns are a sign of high intelligence. (laughs) So, yeah, it's a nice saying, but it's just not practical, for one. And this is not... (laughs) I don't even know how to make sense of this. It's not... That's not a legitimate rule. (laughs) It's like a scare tactic, I guess. Yeah, I feel like it's not meant in this specific instance, because Auntie makes a lot of rules. Like, she wrote the book of rules for Bartertown. I love this saying because I feel like she's looking at Max and being like, hey, now's the time to get serious. You know, we had a lot of fun with you hanging out in Underworld. And remember those zany times we had where I auditioned you and had my guards attack you and you almost got choked to death and all this other stuff. But now we're getting serious. This is Thunderdome. Mm -hmm. Death is listening and we'll take the first man that screams. Now, technically in this fight... I don't know which minute it happens in, but I think Max is the first one to scream and death does not take him. So that kind of spits in the face of that. But I love the idea of it. And when you see Auntie say those words, I just don't understand why people bag on Tina Turner's acting so much because I feel this is pitch perfect. I agree. I didn't realize people bagged on her acting. Oh, yeah. It's one of the big things that people complain about when Mm. they complain about this movie. I feel like they're not bagging. I'm not. I'm I'm sure that they are bagging on her acting. But I think the thing that they're upset about is that it's Tina Turner. I don't I don't think they actually dislike her acting. I think they just dislike that it's Tina Turner, most likely. Mm -hmm. Because people are weird like that. Right. That a musician is taking the place of an actress. Right. Doctor Who had the same problem. The first uh, companion when they came back, um, Rose uh, Billy Piper was a pop singer. She was like a Britney, like a, uh, a Britney Spears type pop singer in England. And they cast her as that. And Doctor Who fans went nuts. And, you know, she's one of the most beloved companions now. But at the time, 
you know, everyone was like, ugh, can't believe this. You know, funny thing, I did not know that she had a singing career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. I didn't know she was like a pop star beforehand. I knew that she saw some success after her time on Doctor Who, but I didn't know she was also successful before Doctor Who mm-hmm. was a singer. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's what it is. I, for some reason, um, I don't know, sci-fi fans... Can you consider this sci-fi? I guess so. Post-apocalypse. I think post-apocalyptic is a subset of the sci-fi genre. Yeah. Sci-fi yeah, fans can so. get weird about about pop stars being in their stuff. Uh, and I think that's... She's fine in this. Like, she's not incredible, but she's not terrible either. Um, no. There were certainly worse actors in the first Mad Max uh, than Tina Turner is in this. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's fine. She's fine. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of what she brings to the table is her... Tina Turner ness, mm-hmm. her presence, gravitas is is half the job. Yeah, I'm trying to think. If not Tina Turner, then who? Mm. Oh, oh, that's something I would have had to think about for a long time. <laughs> like the first person that comes to mind is Grace Jones. Sure, she was in a bunch of different movies. Like she was in the Christopher Walken James Bond movie. Right? Is that where she was? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I know she was a she was a sidekick in one of those. Was she in something Queen of the Desert? Something something. She was in a Conan movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh right, yeah. All right, so yeah, Grace Jones was in A View to a Kill. She was in Conan the Destroyer. Uh, she was in the 1998 Avengers movie, <laughs> and in 1987 she was in a movie called Siesta. How old was she in 1985? In 1985, what was she doing? She was performing on television in one episode of EastEnders and mm. she was in a documentary called Pumping Iron 2, subtitled The Women. Mm. So it looked like she was focusing more on her athletics career in 1985. Okay. So she hadn't quite broken as an actress beyond the Conan movie. Okay. Well, actually, no, A View to a Kill was 1985, so I'm talking on my ass, so. (laughs) (laughs) But out of all of the African-American actresses from the 1980s, I feel like she would also be good in that part of Auntie. Yeah, I could see that. I could also see, uh, for whatever reason, like, I think that 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 version, um, the version that you're talking about is more of like an intimidation version. Right. Whereas, like, if you wanted to go the more, uh, I don't know, maternal is not quite the word that I'm looking for, but like sort of like, I mean, because she's kind of like a post-apocalyptic maternal figure, right? In Bartertown yeah. a little bit. So I like I was just thinking it might be fun to see like Nichelle Nichols in that role. Mm. from Star Trek. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I think she definitely could carry the weight of what Auntie has to do. Mhm. Yeah. Do we think I'm sure you guys have already talked about this, but what what is her what is her deal? Why isn't she Australian? We haven't really talked about that. We've kind of glossed over the fact that many characters are not Australian. Oh. Is it just is that just in this movie or is it the other ones too? The two before now, everybody was Australian. Oh, okay. I think Kiel Nielsen might have been the standout non-Australian from the second movie. I yeah. feel like most of the cast was Australian in the first movie. I think 
Mel Gibson gets a quasi-Australian classification because, yes, he was born in the States, but he grew up in Australia. So it's like he's a transplant, right? Yeah, he had a natural Australian accent. If you want to split hairs, technically none of the Mad Max movies have had an Australian Max if you want to get down Mm. to specifics and brass tacks because Gibson's an American, Hardy's an Englishman. Right. Sounds like they need yeah. to get uh, Chris Hemsworth in a Mad Max movie. They okay. need to get they need to get a lot more Hemsworths in these movies, just because Hemsworths are national treasures and <laughs> they are high value exports. What's the oldest one's name? Oh, he was the one the in one Westworld. In Westworld. Mm. I could definitely see him as Max. Oh yeah. He just has a more mature face to him. He's not so handsome as Chris and Liam. Right. He's more rugged. Oh, I never. I would never buy Liam uh as max that would never have chris, chris i could eh, maybe like maybe if you dirty him up a little yeah. maybe yeah dirty him up a little <laughs> but the oldest brother he was in westworld yep he was the security and, guy uh, is that who was he in westworld he was part of the administration i think he was quality assurance which is i think a fancy word for security oh okay yes his character was named ashley stubbs and i was listening to a recap podcast about westworld because as we're recording this westworld i think started playing this past sunday or this upcoming sunday it's one of those it better be upcoming because if it's this past and it's wednesday and we haven't watched it yet (laughs) yeah i know i know okay (laughs) he did not fare well in the first season his character's name is ashley stubbs the actor's name luke hemsworth luke. i've said it like three times well i didn't hear you <laughs> i to be fair i didn't hear you either <laughs> it's two against one i vote that you didn't say it all right i think luke hemsworth would make an excellent match oh i could totally yeah. see that if you look up luke hemsworth's imdb page the first couple of photos underneath his main picture is him from Westworld and his jacket almost has that leathery look to it. Like you click on the picture and it's a nylon jacket, but Mm. from a distance, it kind of looks leather and it's like, yeah, I I could see Luke Hemsworth as an actor portraying Mad Max. Yeah. Yeah. For a little bit of legitimate Australian-ness. So back to the original question as to why Auntie isn't Australian, no idea. Hmm. Maybe, have you played with the idea that auntie is in fact tina turner and that she was like on tour in australia when all this went down my god (laughs) that's why she doesn't want to tell max about her backstory (laughs) right in the penthouse yeah is because she was famous and doesn't want to be part of that world anymore yeah because now she's auntie that world doesn't mean anything anymore i have never considered that before Mind is blown. Yeah. I really like that idea because there are other people with British accents. Are there anybody else with American accents? Off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Yeah. But that would explain it because she would have had crew and managers and all sorts of stuff. People who came with her. Right. So in that case, her the little backstory that she does give that she was a nobody and now she's a somebody because she's still alive. That nobody line was a total cover. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> Auntie was formerly known as Tina Turner before the collapse. The reason that Iron Bar is there and he's played by Angry Anderson is because Auntie in her Australian tour, her frontliner, her opening act was Rose Tattoo, headlined by Angry Anderson. Frank Thring is British, so he's a good fit for her tour manager. Yes. So the three of them, the world ends, 
They're trapped in Australia, and they make the best of it. Yes. It's perfect. And that goes a long way to explain the collector's behavior and how he acts with her. Very much managing her and communicating the information that they both know, but the collector is the one that communicates it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, you just... The, the nobody line, too, you could almost explain away, like, what you could say that she's just lying, but it could also be that she's talking about having to start over after all of this went down. Like when, when the apocalypse happened, she became a nobody. And then all she did was like, you know, try to fight and, and (laughs) strive to become somebody again. And musicians and performers and entertainers, when we're in the midst of the apocalypse, are they really going to have a place in our world anymore? Right. Society is going to be going actively going downhill and we're going to have this entire industry of people. How do they contribute to trying to keep society afloat? If they can't figure out how to make themselves useful, then they're going to turn into nobodies. Right. You just made a lot of musicians very sad, Julia. (laughs) Well, then they need to figure out how to make themselves relevant during and after an apocalypse. No, you put the you put the magicians. Same goes for me. My industry is going to go away too. So you put the magicians. Not any health insurance in charge of uh, hiding the gas. I mean, that's that's an easy. That's easy. Yeah. If there's anything a magician knows how to do, it's hide something when he knows that someone is coming to search for. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They hear that pound on the door and they go into instant hide. Yeah, they make the Statue of Liberty disappear. Stash the stuff. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. I'm going to need a wall of mirrors. Can you find me a wall of mirrors? Uh. Oh, man. We have gotten so off the the beaten trail here. (laughs) So... Long story short, Tina Turner, excellent choice for this movie, despite what the critics say. Yes, I agree. (laughs) We go from auntie's death listening, man screaming speech down to Dr. Dealgood. And he just yells prepare and he throws his hands up in the air and Max and Blaster are brought to their respective sides of the dome. We get some audience participation. Yeah, people are loving it. Well, they're the ones holding holding the ankles. Get some people on the side that get to hold yeah. on to Max's boots. Yeah, that's good. And I'm sure that there are people up there at the top that are just ratcheting up those tubing rigs extra tight so we get a really good first fling. Do you think they charge uh, tickets for this? Or, I mean, obviously it's Barter Town, so you trade. But do you think they have to trade stuff to get in here? Like... Are those or 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 was this a is this a general admission thing? And uh, those people, the the ankle people, they had to get there early to get their ankle spots because those are the, those are obviously <laughs> the best spots in the house, right? That's the that's like the splash zone. Yeah, I think the event itself is a gift. Come, the masses, watch this event. It is for you for your enjoyment. So open to anybody, but I think the the ankle holders are the the people who get there first. It's like getting the exit row on the airplane. Yeah. They're coveted. It costs more. (laughs) So I think the cost to the people who actually get there is getting to that spot first and then holding on to that spot. Oh, yeah. You can't get there, put your coat down and then say, okay, I'm going to be right back. I got to go to the bathroom. And then you get back and your coat is like in the dome and it's like, crud, I can't get it now. Yeah. Only two men are allowed to enter and not, not neither of them are going to give it back to me. So I guess it's just gone. Now. It's a lot denser in those areas too. Like the crowds 
are much, much more yeah. denser than anywhere else around the dome. There's like, I mean, there, there, there's, oh God, I'm like looking at this and there's like 20 people all in that one little section where, where, uh, Max is going and everywhere else it's a little more sparse. Uh, but it's very mm-hmm. dense there. So yeah, you can definitely tell those are those are the seats to get, and everybody's just waiting. Like, oh, I I hope I hope this person leaves or whatever, so we can take their spot. Um, so yeah, you definitely definitely don't want to leave a coat. Uh, you're not getting that coat back. Not in the post apocalypse. No, certainly not. It does seem like there's an awful lot of people who are unwilling to climb up the dome because uh-huh. there's plenty of room left on the dome itself. And I guess the the ankle holding spot is just so coveted, <laughs> and the splash zone is just so coveted people are willing to wait three or four people deep Mm -hmm. well i mean if you're holding on to the ankles even if you're holding on to blasters pig poop encrusted boots you're almost part of the show at that point yeah right that's exciting yeah Yeah. going back to our magicians thing it's like being a part of the trick yeah yeah that would be like going to universal studios and going to see the indiana jones stunt show and being brought up on stage so that you can throw indy the whip and he'll throw you the idol type of thing i don't think they actually do that because i've never actually gone to the universal studios indiana jones stunt show but I went to a Six Flags and they had a Waterworld stunt show. So that was kind of cool. I think I, I <laughs> Disney or, or Disney has the Indiana Jones one. I think Universal Studios has Waterworld. Um, oh, and and Six Flags okay. has Batman. In that case. <laughs> OK, it was definitely Six Flags Batman. Why did I think Universal had Indiana Jones? I think it might be because I got confused by an old episode of Step by Step. But that was on ABC. So that would be Disney, too. Yeah. Has my entire life been a lie? No, no. I think my entire life. <laughs> has been a series of misunderstandings on my part okay uh, that makes all sense. i know is uh i i think you can make a, a really strong <laughs> argument for the for water world being part of the mad max universe oh absolutely yes <laughs> it's yes, like you can. somewhere there is a divergent timeline thing mm-hmm. where if you go down one side you get everything is dry and we got Mad Max and then you go down the other side and it's, everything is wet and we got Waterworld. Uh-huh. Or everyone in Waterworld just hasn't sailed far enough in a single direction. Mm-hmm. So that's where all the water went currently. in Mad, Mad Max. Right. It all just tipped <laughs> onto the other side of the world where Waterworld is. <laughs> that's how science works, right? Now that would be a team up. <laughs> Kevin Costner and Mel Gibson. Oh boy. Hanging out on the beach. That'd be something. <laughs> That does not sound like a good idea. No. As you said, Dr. Dealgood and the guards, they leave. They shut the door. Max is hanging more or less horizontal, and people are holding onto his feet. Blaster's hanging more or less horizontal, and people are holding onto his feet. And their harnesses must be ratcheted up as high as they can go, because when they get let go by those people outside the dome, they slingshot towards the center of this dome, and they miss each other initially, and then they fly back, and Max tries to grab the tubing of Blaster, but he doesn't quite get a good enough handle on it, so he starts spinning around, and... <laughs> it's it's like the worst oh. community theater Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such a mess. It, it really is. <laughs> I wonder, I would have loved to be there when they're filming this. How many times did they do the ankle grab and let them go? And did Miller want it to look so messy? Or is this just the best take because they weren't very good at it? I'm very curious. It honestly, I mean, and we'll get into this in, uh, you know, the other minutes, the rest of this week. But it just feels, when I heard 
about Thunderdome, you know, when I, when I just heard about these movies, I was like, oh, I bet that's the most violent one. Because it's like, <laughs> it's a... It, and you see the violence. Yeah. And they're just missing each other. Right. Flailing around on rubber right. bands. Yep. It really feels sanitized in a way that I think hurts the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Because this feels like it, like George Miller just is just desperately wanting this to just be a bloody gory mess. Like I feel like he would want he would want spikes on the inside of the Thunderdome if he could have, but he may he had to make a PG-13 movie this time around. Yeah, I feel like this is Warner Brothers going up to Miller and being like, "Listen, we make more money off of PG-13 movies, mm-hmm. so we're going to need you to scale it back." Yeah. <laughs> and then this is what happened. You know, it's that studio <laughs> interference thing. Yeah. Cuz then the rubber bands become part of the problem, right? Oh, absolutely. Is like if there's spikes on the inside of the Thunderdome, you're you you have to use the rubber bands to like navigate the dome, but also avoid the spikes because every time you go down too far, you're also like going back up toward the spikes. It sort of adds another layer of tension that I think this scene desperately needs. Um because Nice pun. <laughs> because otherwise it's just two dudes on swing sets kind of missing, like uh, hugging each other. I don't know. It's not great. (laughs) Julia, I don't think I've ever sat you down and made you watch Team America World Police, but it is a- No, you haven't, nor will you ever. It is a puppet movie. And when I say puppets, I'm not talking about like hand puppets or Muppets. I'm talking about marionettes. clips. Yeah. There is a, oh, and I use this term very loosely, fight scene in the opening action scene of the movie. And it's just two marionettes mashing up against each other Mm -hmm. because otherwise their strings would get tangled. And that's pretty much what we're looking at at the beginning here. Like the first (laughs) moments of this seemingly epic fight are just two men trying to navigate the fact that they're dangling in the middle of this giant dome. Yep. And the crowd is loving it. Which I... They are. Yeah, they obviously are. But like, I I just look at this and I was like, would this be fun to watch? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Would this be exciting? I don't know. I guess they're desperate for entertainment. Yeah, the stuff we see in this minute, I've used... I've used the word goofy kind of a lot to describe this movie and moments in this movie. This moment is goofy. Uh Uh-huh. And it definitely feels like it could have been more. Yeah. I agree with the studio interference idea. I think so. Well, as goofy as this fight starts, it is going to get a lot more serious at times as we go along. Yes. So we're going to put a pin in today's minute. We have just begun the fight. They're flailing around. There's not too much to talk about there. So we're going to put the rest of it off until Wednesday. We're going to come back. Whoever is controlling the heights of these harnesses is going to relax a little bit and let these men actually touch terra firma. So that's going to be really great. Scott, in the meantime, where can people find more of you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Scott Corelli. Uh, If you go to DuelingGenre.com, you can check out all of the podcasts we have over there. I am currently hosting Spider-Man Minute. Uh, We are going through, myself and my co-host Zach Luna are going through Spider-Man 2 now. We made it all the way through the first Spider-Man. If you want to go back and listen to us talk about the cage match from the first Spider-Man, you can do that. Uh, Our guest during that uh, was an extra in that scene. So that was a lot of fun to talk about with him. So go check that out. Uh, That's Spider-Man Minute. And I also co-host the Cornetto Minute, which is on hiatus 
currently, but we'll be back uh, later this year with Hot Fuzz and uh, Rick and Julia were both on that. You guys were also on Spider-Man Minute for Spider-Man 2. So lots of uh, Rick and Julia on on the show. So you guys can (laughs) go check those out first. See if you like the show, you know, test the waters, so to speak. And uh, maybe maybe keep listening if, if you like it. Yeah. It's always easy to jump into a new show when you've got a few familiar voices to latch on to. If you are jumping into Cornetto Minute, I believe we were in the in the pub scene where <laughs> the Mexican standoff happened. Yes. And then for Spider-Man 2 Minute, I don't know if our episodes have come up yet, but it's the... I believe they have. It's the scene where Peter is trying to get the MJ's play. Right. So we get to talk a little bit about, you know, Peter as Peter and MJ as a Broadway star? Question mark? Off Broadway (laughs) star? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of off Broadway talk. But anyway, you can go check out that. Otherwise, we'll be back on Wednesday to talk more about this cage fight. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Public storefront by clicking the store link Join our Patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link. Thank you for joining us for Minute 31 of Beyond Thunderdome. We'll see you next time. Over!